And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Joel, chapter 2. Listen today for what heartbrokenness over sin looks like in a believer. It's only when we first mourn our sin that we can be comforted beyond our sin. And now, with this message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. It says, if we homologeo our sins, if we say the same thing that God does about our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the proper prayer in traffic is, Lord, for my self-centeredness that I need that six feet of pavement ahead of the person ahead of me and I'm angry about it, it's sin. Will you forgive me for Jesus' sake, for my impatience? That's a confession. So what would being brokenhearted over sin look like? Fearing God more than people. Confessing specific sins to the Lord. Number three, having a genuine sorrow for sin. A genuine sorrow for sin. To see that with me, why don't you go with me to the great psalm of confession, David's Psalm 51. Let's see what verse 17 says in Psalm 51. You'll recall that David fell into sexual sin with Bathsheba. He tried to cover over his tracks and get away with his sin by having her husband killed in battle. He was a soldier, but Uriah wasn't killed in battle, so David orchestrated it for him to be killed in battle, and he was killed in a battle. And then Nathan came to David and said, You're the man, you're the sinner, which took courage because David was the king. And David, because he was a man after God's own heart, although he had fallen into sexual sin, was broken and contrite before God in admitting his sins to God. And in verse 17 of this helpful psalm, David says to God, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Because God is a cardiologist. And when our hearts are dark with sin, he wants to do heart surgery. He wants to bring around a genuine contrition or a sorrow for sin in our hearts. A deep regret that moves us from disobedience to obedience to God. That's what being heartbroken over sin looks like. Dr. Mariano de Gange is now in heaven. But he writes this in his commentary on the book of Joel, and I quote, Do we know what it means to be contrite? God desires that sinners sense their guilt and weep within for what their sins have done to defile self, destroy neighbor, and dishonor Christ. When we experience poverty of spirit, we are on the right road to everlasting enrichment from the treasury of divine grace. When we mourn over our sins, we pass through spiritual winter, and then comes the springtime of God's comfort. 
That's the end of quote. I'm afraid that too many believers want to get to spring without coming through winter. What would being broken of heart over your sin look like? Fearing God more than people, confessing specific sins to the Lord, having genuine sorrow for our sin. Fourth, being repulsed by sin. When you pray to, for God to make you as burdened for the things that burden God as God is burdened, ask him to make you repulsed by sin as much as God is repulsed by sin. Number five, having a broken heart would look like being terrified of falling back into sin and following out of being terrified about falling back into our sin is number six, radically distancing ourselves from temptation to our sin. I have counseled people over the years who have been tempted to sin in a workplace to resign their jobs and find another workplace. Radically distance ourselves from the temptations to our sins. Maybe it involves moving out of Pennsylvania to Colorado. Maybe it involves selling your computer or making it a boat anchor. Maybe it involves getting accountability partner of your gender. Radically distance yourself from the temptations to your sins. We all have sin patterns. My sin patterns may be different than all of your sin patterns. When I am tired, physically, mentally, emotionally, when I'm careless in my spiritual disciplines, there are certain sins that will arise in me, temptations to sin, because I know my flesh patterns. What would being brokenhearted over sin look like? Number seven, visualizing our sin nailing the Savior to the cross. A time to do that, but not the only time you can do that, is when this table of the Lord, communion table, is set before you. And in those moments of musical interlude and silence, you bow your head and you think about your sins. Specific sins that they nailed Jesus to the cross. It wasn't the Romans. It was our sins. When we understand that our sins nailed our Lord to the cross, we are in a place of being wholehearted and genuine in our sorrow and heartbrokenness over our sins. Number eight, warning others of our sins so they will not get sucked into it. You know what that requires? Transparency. It requires not coming to church gatherings with a happy face on and bulletproof a personality that you never let anybody into who you really are. If you're battling with sin, wouldn't it be good to be able to come to a place of family relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ and say, can I tell you something? Can I go over here? Would you pray with me? This is the sin that I'm battling right now. Men with men and women with women. Or what would it be like if we walked up to a young person in the outlet, a youth ministry, junior and senior high, and said, you know what? Could I have a Coke with you in the youth room? I'll buy. And you go to the Coke machine and you buy a soda for that person and you take a soda and you sit down and say, you know, when I was your age, this is what Satan lied to me about in my life. And I bought the lie. And this is what happened when I bought the lie and I went down the road of sin. And I care about you so much that I wanted to tell you that, that Jesus has forgiven me my sins and I've been sorrowful for them and I've stopped sinning and I've turned away and I'm walking in obedience. But I would just love to warn you not to go down that road. Thank you for listening. May I pray with you?
Genuine heartbrokenness over sin involves warning others of our sin so they will not get sucked into it. That's what Mrs. Thomas did when she was brave enough to tell hundreds of people this morning that she had sinned before she knew better and had an abortion. Number nine, we've talked about this already, but being heartbroken over sin involves mourning over sin. You remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, Matthew 5, 4. And so what does it look like to be heartbroken over our sin? Number one, fear God more than people. Number two, confess specific sins. Number three, be genuinely sorrowful for your sin. Number four, be repulsed by sin in general. Number five, be terrified about falling back into sin. Number six, radically distance yourself from the temptations you face into your sins. Number seven, visualize your sin, nailing Jesus Christ, the Savior, to the cross. Number eight, warn others of your sin so they will not get sucked into it. And number nine, mourn over your sin. Weep. Fast. He'll comfort you as you do. So the million-dollar question, are you and I heartbroken over our current unconfessed sins. We need to be. If we have a known and unconfessed sin that we refuse to confess and turn away from, we're in for a spanking because God loves us and we're his legitimate son or daughter. Furthermore, if God shows us an unconfessed sin in our Christian lives and we refuse to admit it as sin and sorrowfully turn from it to go in a whole different direction, God will hold us at that place in our Christian development and not let us advance any further until we agree with him about the sin. All the promises of the book aren't yours if you're tolerating unconfessed sin as a child of God. And for the unconverted... Being brokenhearted over your sin is being converted. It's seeing Jesus as your Savior from sin. It's seeing his sacrifice on the cross as the remedy for your sin. It's seeing his desire to make you new from the inside out as the gift he gives you for time and for eternity. If you've never trusted him alone to be your Savior, I urge you to do so, to tell him You desperately need him to pay for your sins, to make you a new person, to give you strength not to go back into those sins, to honor and glorify him with the rest of your days on earth. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to continue on talking about Jesus and tough times. And the reality is, is, as we talked about last week, is that we all go through tough times. It's not if we're going to go through tough times, it's when we're going to go through tough times. And how do we deal with going through those tough times? And last week we started to talk about how Jesus himself went through a tough time as he knew what he was going to face. He was going to face being betrayed, he was going to face the cross and everything else. And as we consider Matthew 26 and we, and we looked at 36 to 39, we're going to start at verse 40 today. And it says, Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, as you remember last week, Jesus just asked his disciples to stay awake. Just stay awake. But here as we see that, that, that here it is, Jesus is talking to his father 
and he's asking his disciples, you couldn't stay awake for one hour. Again, we need to understand, as, as in this context, as the word says, it doesn't have all that Jesus talked to his father about. But as we can see, he's, he was talking to him for about an hour. You know, think about that. Staying, just talking to God for an hour. And, and we need to understand as to show that he is a God who listens. He's a God who's always there. But he's making it very clear to his disciples, look, you need to stay awake. You need to be vigilant. You need to make sure that you don't enter into temptation. Because that's what can happen to us when we go through tough times. We can enter into things that we don't want to enter into because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, we have a relationship with Christ, but as Christians, we need to understand that the flesh is raging on and, and, and we can easily fall into temptation. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus, again, as he is going into prayer again and he's talking to his father, he says, and again, verse 42, again, a second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, Jesus is wrestling at what he's going to go through. And he wants to make it very clear that no matter what, he wants to do the father's will. But if there's any way that this can pass, let it pass. Again, Jesus gives an example that he is going through a tough time. But he's turning in the right direction. He's turned to his father because he understands that he's a God who listens. And he listens to us as his children. He listens to us when we go through tough times. But the problem is for us is that we don't like to turn to him right away. We want to turn to everywhere else and try to find fulfillment in all these other places. But he is saying, look, turn to me. Verse 43 says, and he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. Again, he gives the disciples one thing to do, to stay awake. And again, he comes and he finds them sleeping. You know, I know that for us, some of us in this, you know, who are listening, and even myself, I know there have been times when I've prayed, and let's be honest, we fell asleep while we were praying. But here it is, Jesus is just telling the disciples, look, I just want you to stay awake. Be there with me. Be there for me. You know, just do this to me. Be supportive to me. But as we see the disciples uh, uh, fell asleep and, they, and they're not there. And verse 44 says this, And after leaving them, he went away again a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go see. See, my betrayer is near. Again, as we consider this passage, and Jesus makes it very clear, and he's showing that he knows what he's going to go through. He knows that the time has come. And we know that all through Scripture it's been said, and Jesus has said, the time has not yet come. But now Jesus is saying, the time is near. It is coming. And you guys need to wake up. You need to get ready. You need to be prepared because I'm soon no longer going to be here. In fact, my betrayer is coming now. He's coming to betray me. And Jesus knew what he was going to go through. And this is why Jesus understood that he needed to spend his quality time with his father because he needed to tell his father how he felt. And you know, for us sometimes as Christians, you know, we, we don't want to be honest with God. We don't want to, we want to hide it. And remember we talked about the image and how we portray this image to people. But sometimes we need to be honest with people and tell them, I'm going through a rough time. Can we pray about it? 
And sometimes we need to understand that as the person who is coming alongside that person, we need to just be quiet and let that person speak to us. Let them tell us how they feel. Don't say a word. Just be there for them. And this is what is going through, Jesus is going through as his disciples. They're, they're not doing what he has asked them to do. Just stay awake. You ain't got to do nothing. Just stay awake. Just be there. But we see that they cannot even follow that simple thing. So I want to ask you this morning as you're listening to the broadcast, I want to ask you again, what is it that you're facing? What is it that you need to go to God about? Or you need to talk to someone about? Or you just need someone to listen to? The reality is that we see in this passage that God listens. We don't have anything to say that God is talking to Jesus. But he is there listening to him. Listening to what his son is saying during this rough time. So again, I want to ask you, what are you going to do when you go through tough times? Are you going to try to turn to everything and try to find satisfaction and fulfillment in something for a short while? Or are you going to go to God and be honest with God and say, God, you know, this is what I'm going through. And I need your help. I need you to come. I need you to help me with this because I don't know how to do it on my own. Because let's be honest, we are all needy people. We are in the need of a Savior. We are in need of a God who is watching over us, who is showing us daily on how we should live our lives and what we should do. And I would just challenge you, again, to just sit. And sometimes we need to be still and know that He is God. Just sit and talk to Him because we need to just talk to Him. Tell Him how we feel. Because he wants to listen. He is there to listen. And he promises in his word he'll never leave us or forsake us. Even if we're going through the good times and the bad times, he's the same God. So I want to challenge you to know that there's someone who you can always turn to. And that is Jesus. That is God the Father. We can turn to him. And we can understand and recognize that we need to turn to him. Because if we try to do it on our own, we're going to continue to fail. So again, I would challenge you, if you're going through a rough time, give it to him. Let him deal with it. And again, as we said last week, if you need to talk to someone, please feel free to call us here at Calvary Bible Church at 326-0800. And you can ask for Pastor Nichols, and we can see how we can help you. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, this morning, I'm very pleased to have in the radio studio uh, with me some wonderful believers from Anglesey Island, which is off the north coast of Wales. Uh, Philip and Margaret Evans, good morning. Good morning. morning. Lovely to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I would like to have you chat a bit about a wonderful story that you witnessed that uh, the believer uh, drew upon what he understood happened in the Old Testament. And please tell us that. One of the Christians who was one of those first Christians in the 1960s when the Indian mission had gone in. And he, he was in, in his newfound faith and he'd led some other people to the Lord and, and they'd become what they called the underground church. Because Excuse me, just for a second. that's in Nepal we're talking about. Yes, right? this is in Nepal. Sorry, this is yes. in Nepal. Please go right ahead. Yeah. And they called it an underground church because it was not accepted in, in the Hindu culture mm-hmm. to have Christianity. It was seen as a Western thing and, and they didn't like it there. But but he knew his life had been changed. He he had 
he'd met with Jesus and, and uh, he'd been truly converted. And he wanted to share his faith with his village. And so he decided to uh, put on a, a meal, some chickens, and, and invited the whole village to come. And the plan was that he would then stand up and, and tell them how Jesus had changed his life and uh, with the aim that they would hear the gospel and, and they would too become Christians. And as, as he was doing this and, and the people were there, some soldiers who he'd recognized had been drinking and, and, and they were a, a bit drunk and they'd got guns. And he realized they were in trouble because in, in those days it wouldn't have been a problem if they, for them if, if they'd uh, shot some Christians and killed them. It would have been, they wouldn't have gone into trouble. And uh, so he, he was concerned. But as he prayed, he remembered from uh, the second book of Chronicles in, in the Bible, the story of Jehoshaphat, mm. when Jehoshaphat was uh, surrounded by uh, enemies, that he, he also prayed and, and asked the Lord for, for guidance and what to do. And the Lord said, send out the choirs send out the worshippers. And uh, he remembered that. So he, he didn't have huge choirs. He, he just had a few people, but they did know some hymns and some songs. And so they got together and started singing these hymns and singing these praise songs. And as they did, uh, these soldiers who were a bit drunk started arguing with each other and fighting and gradually just drifted away. Praise and he was able to continue and share the gospel with his village. Wow, <laughs> that's fantastic. Two things jump out at me in that true story. Uh, first, the the joy and the necessity that a new believer in Christ yes. felt to share his faith. Yes. You know, to to know Jesus as a Savior, uh, it's only natural, it's only right, it's only logical to <laughs> want to share the good yeah. news that about Jesus that we have heard and believed with others that have not heard or believed. Yes. And so I love that part of the story. Yeah. The second part of the story that really is a, a, a encouragement to me is that this young believer knew the word of God enough yes. to know of that story in Second Chronicles. And it tells me the importance of uh, being Bible readers yes. and those who meditate upon the Bible yes. and those who are looking for the truths of the Bible to fit into their actual day-to-day -day exactly. lives yes. and yes. situations. Yes. So I just love that. And uh, thank you so much for telling that, our that's listeners. That's such a good point because... That, that's the way I like to read the Bible. When we read about Jehoshaphat and, and these people, we, we can read it not just as history, but we can say, well, Jeho Jehoshaphat's God is my God. Amen. And he helped Jehoshaphat. He can help us today. Absolutely. To look for those timeless yes. principles of mm. truth that uh, are there for us to learn from and there for us to apprehend and there for us to uh, live out in faith. Thank you so much for that story. I'd like to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word reveals to us your will. It reveals to us your uh, track record, and it gives us timeless principles by which we can know victory in living for Jesus Christ. We thank you for this marvelous story of you turning the hearts of even drunken soldiers uh, away from violence to uh, dissipating into the night and for your protective hand on this young Nepalese believer 
and his uh, associates. Lord, help us to be people of your book. Help us to open our Bibles, to read them, to study them, to meditate upon them, and to build our decisions upon the truths of your word. Thank you that we have Bibles in the Bahamas, and we do not have the fear of owning a Bible that we would uh, find ourselves persecuted. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you for this wonderful story, a true story of your protection. And we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. What does it mean to deliver someone to Satan for the destruction of his flesh? That question comes out of 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. In dealing with the case of an unrepentant sinner in the church at Corinth, Paul took steps to deliver the offender over to the domain of Satan. The apostle is referring to the process of excommunication, whereby a sinner is put out of the church. Compare Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. Paul makes this clear in verse 13, where he writes, Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Scholars debate the meaning of the phrase, for the destruction of his flesh. It has been suggested that Paul is referring to the ruin of the physical body through sickness or even death. This view may be supported by 1 Corinthians 11.30, where we see that precedent that sin may lead to bodily sickness or even death. Another possibility is that the flesh, Greek sarx, to which Paul refers in the offender's attitude of sinful self-satisfaction. This view coincides with Paul's use of the word flesh in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and is suggested by the immediate context. Paul is simply leading the church through the process of excommunication so that the offender may repent, return to God, and be saved to full conformity to Christ at his return in the day of the Lord Jesus. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, 
everyone needs a savior. Savior.